Well, good morning to Salem Chapel. Let me say that to all of you that are in this auditorium. Let me say that to you who are watching us online. We're so glad that you um, are here with us uh, here at this church family of Salem Chapel. Uh, just to let you know, uh, that song that we just sang, our worship team wrote that. And, and those of you who call this place your home know that. Um, but that came right out of this place. Uh, we say here at Salem Chapel that when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. And, uh, and so I always think of that when I hear that song, that regardless of what you came in today, with someone saying to you or, or uh, some circumstance saying to you, the beauty of that song is that God has a better word for you. And his word trumps whatever word you came in with today that may have you discouraged or fearful, that God is, God's word is the better word. And when his word is open, his mouth is open. Uh, before I ask you to turn in your Bibles, um, I doubt I have to exp explain to anybody what this is, right? Your mask may look different than mine, but we've been wearing these uh, for a while, as we all know. And uh, I want to inform you, I did this at the 9 a.m., I want to do this at the 11 a.m. Uh, we're going to make a, a slight change on what we're going to do with these masks here at Salem Chapel. Uh, we're going into the winter months. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, and then I'm going to explain to you why we're doing this. Our 9 a.m. service, and I know you're like, well, I'm at the 11 a.m., but nevertheless, we want to make as many people know about this as possible. Our 9 a.m. starting next Sunday will be a mass service, not just in the lobby as we have been doing, and I know we're social distanced in this room, and we have a reservation system in every other row and all of that, but uh, the reality is, is, is we've heard from many that uh, desire to worship together as the family of God like we all do and online is great and if you're watching online we're glad you're with us but here's what we know it doesn't replace gathering together um, as the people of God singing together seeing one another fellowshipping together sitting under God's word together and uh, maybe because of uh, battling a cancer or an illness or having a situation that is causing people to be extra cautious, uh, them thinking or knowing that, that there are people who are not wearing masks when they're singing or putting themselves in an environment like that is actually keeping some people who call this place their home, our church family, from feeling comfortable in worshiping. Now, here's what Romans 12, 18 says, that we need to do everything in our power for the family of God. And thinking of them. And so we're going to do that. So at our 9 a.m., uh, and we're going into the winter months, which puts some of those cautions even on a higher level for some, we're going to make our 9 a.m. service not just masked in the lobby, but also masked in the auditorium. Let me be clear on this. Wearing this or doing this for, for people who may feel less comfortable is not a political statement. It, it's not any of those things. It's us saying, you know what? They may feel differently than I do, but nevertheless, I'm going to do this for my church family. And so we're starting that next week. It'll be clearly, uh, clearly signage in the lobby, all of that. We'll have people handing out masks at the 9 a.m. for someone who doesn't come. So if you're watching this and that's the reason why you haven't come, we'll know that, that we are uh, doing this for you because we value you being here in person. Now, let me also say this. That doesn't mean that the 11 a.m., which we're in, is the Wild West where we're just kissing everybody and all of that. We're gonna continue to do what we have been doing and be caring and cautious. We're just gonna take those extra precautionary steps at the 9 a.m. So wanted to let you know about that. Uh, I'll be, you'll be getting, you'll see it on social media, you'll see it in your email inbox, 
Um, and, uh, and so we're going to make that a point this week to also make sure that everyone uh, knows of that coming into the week. All right, turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 11 in Judges 6, and we're going to go all the way through to the end of chapter 7. Now, what we're not going to be able to do, because we're covering that much scripture, is we're not going to be able to deal with every single verse word for word. That's normally what we do. I heard someone describe expository preaching as this, like not extra sauce, just line by line, word by word. I thought, man, what a great definition. And you'd be surprised if I tell you who, who said that. Um, but I thought that's excellent. That's what we do here at Salem Chapel. But with a passage of scripture like this, it's a massive chunk. And so we're gonna do that, but we're gonna do it in segmented parts of this passage of scripture. If you're new with us, we've been in this series in the book of Judges entitled Broken People, Faithful God. And what we've seen is we've seen this cyclical pattern of the people of Israel to where they sin, they, they practice idolatry and worshiping other gods, they wander away from the Lord and what the Lord has told them is his best for them and they wander away, they face judgment because the Lord brings consequences onto his people so that they would realize that what they left is what they already, already had and wanted and the people of Israel realize that, they cry out to God for deliverance. God delivers them out of his graciousness and his, and his mercifulness and he delivers them. But unfortunately, they have a period of rest and then they do the same thing again. And we see that over and over and over and over. We see the brokenness of people. It reminds us of the brokenness that you have and the brokenness that I have. But in the midst of that tragedy, there's also triumph because we see the faithfulness of God. And aren't you glad today that God's faithfulness does not hinge on whether or not you are faithful? I know I am. And so this morning in this passage of scripture that we're gonna be looking at, we're gonna be introduced to this man named Gideon. How many of you have heard of that name before? Raise your hand. All right, most of you, maybe not all of you, and I don't wanna take, take that for granted. You may be here, you have no idea who Gideon is. You may be watching online. You have no idea who Gideon is. Well, let me explain a little bit to you about who Gideon is, and then we're gonna go into this passage of scripture. Gideon is a simple farmer. In fact, most people during this time were. It's a simple farmer, but this simple farmer is struggling. This simple farmer is struggling and questioning God's character, who God says he is, in light of what he is experiencing. And so we're introduced to this person, Gideon, simple farmer, questioning God's character and saying, God, this is who you say you are, but this is what I'm experiencing. It seems to be in contradiction to what I know you are and who you say you are. But what I love about this story of Gideon is you see this man who starts off being this simple, fearful, discouraged farmer who over time God uses and turns into a warrior who no longer questions God's character, but now exclaims God's character and sees God reveal himself through unsurmountable odds. So if you're taking notes this morning, and I encourage you to take notes today because what we're gonna cover is gonna resonate with every one of us in this room or you're watching it online, is this. Here's the title, Turning Question Marks into Exclamation Points. That's what the Lord loves to do. 
See, that's the idea that I want you to get out of this passage of scripture that we'll be looking at today. That's what we're going to unpack is this idea that the Lord desires to turn your question marks about his character into exclamation points. Don't answer this out loud, but answer it in your head. Have you come in today with question marks about God's character? Here's what I mean by that. Like, man, John Am. I know that God is faithful. I know that, that God is sovereign, which means he's in control. I know God is loving. I know God is gracious. I know God is all-powerful. I know all of these things about the Lord. In fact, some of us could even take, take the rest of us to some passage of scripture that literally back that up. But you would say, man, I know who God says he is where he even says it, but I have a problem because right now I'm living in present circumstances that seem to contradict what I know the Lord says in his word is true about him. And so you've come into this room this morning with question marks. I just wanna pause and I want you to think right now, what are the questions about God's character that you're struggling with? Think about it. You got it? Got some? This isn't a trick question, I promise you. Because I believe what the Lord wants to do today is he wants to speak to those questions. He does. After all, what do we say? When God's word is open, God's mouth is open. And what the Lord desires and loves to do in your life and in my life is to turn my question marks like, God, I just don't know if this is really who you are. God, I don't know if this is really what you're gonna do. Lord, I just don't, I really struggle that, that this is true for me. That the Lord loves to turn those question marks into exclamation points. That God, I know, I believe, I've seen, I've experienced that this is true. That that is what the Lord loves to do in our life. So let me just pause real quick. Let me pray for those question marks that I don't know that you have. But I promise you they're probably some of the same ones that I've had even this week. And let's pray that the Lord would speak to those questions so that you can walk out of this room today or you can have the ammunition when you walk out of this room to be able to say, Lord, I questioned that once, but now I really believe it. God, we're here today to hear from you. Thank you for the opportunity already to be able to sing truths about who you are. But God, I'm no different than any person that's listening today, whether that's in this room, whether that's online, whether that's out for a run, whether it's out on the drive, whether it's in their living room, wherever it is. We have times in our life where we really question what we know to be true, but necessarily not experiencing it. And Lord, I can testify that that's when you do your greatest work. And so God, as we approach this text, may we not be ashamed of our questions. May we not try to minimize our questions. May we not even be not truthful about our questions, but may we embrace them. 
so that you can turn them into exclamation points. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna give you three important truths in this passage of scripture. We're gonna jump in it here in a moment. Three important truths that the Lord desires you to learn about his character. And these three truths may be question marks for you, but I promise you that the Lord wants to turn them into exclamation points. Three truths that I see in these verses about the Lord that he desires you to learn. Look at verse 11 of chapter six. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth at Orpah. So he sat under this tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, with while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So the Midianites, if you remember last week, if you were here last week, or I encourage if you weren't to watch it, Aaron spoke in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Israel, the majority of Israel is under Midianite rule. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our father, fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us, and he's given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So Gideon was from the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now, there's two questions that rose out for me from this passage of Scripture. And if you have been reading in our reading plan, which you can access at salemchapel.org backslash judges, if you've been reading in our reading plan, maybe these are two of the same questions that you had. So, so let me share with them. Here's the first question I had that when I read this rose out of these verses. Why in the world does the angel of the Lord call Gideon a mighty man of valor? Do you see anywhere in verses 11 through 16 that warrant him to be called this? I don't. I see a fear, fearful, simple farmer who is doubt, doubting and discouraged and he's fearful. Maybe even a little angry that his present circumstances don't jive with what he knows to be true and what he's told has been true of the Lord. That's what I see here. I don't see a warrior at all. Here's a second question I had that rose out of these verses. Why would the angel of the Lord choose Gideon to lead Israel against the Midianites? Not my first draft pick. Yours? Not mine. Simple farmer, fearful, doubts, discouraged, a little bit angry. I'll take a pass. So why in the world does the Lord choose Gideon to be the one to lead Israel against the Midianites, not to mention that there's this encounter that Gideon has with the Lord. Like the angel of the Lord, this, this pre-incarnate, when you see oftentimes angel lords, the pre-incarnate Jesus, like he has this amazing encounter. Now, evidently, 
Though it doesn't say we have to assume that this angel of the Lord is, doesn't show up with this flaming sword and, and bright lights and all the other different types of things like we see other, in other passages of scriptures. He's just kind of sitting under this tree and Gideon just happens to notice him because the angel of the Lord addresses him. But what I think is interesting is you have this, and evidently he recognizes that it's the Lord at some point. You have the Lord telling Gideon something amazing. He's telling Gideon, Gideon, I'm with you. Gideon, you're gonna be a conqueror. And what's Gideon's response? He denies everything God has said. You know what he's having? He's having what I like to call a crisis of belief. You ever have those in your life? Here's what I mean by that. We just described it earlier, where what I know to be true about God's word is not harmonizing with what I'm experiencing. I've had those in my life. Where God, I know this to be true of you. God, I've even seen this in the past. I've seen you proving yourself faithful. But what I'm experiencing in the present is not jiving with what I know to be true. And in those moments, we often have crises of belief. Here's how I define a crisis of belief. It's the internal struggle between what you know to be true about God and what you are experiencing. There's a conflict there. I mean, Gideon's first response to when the Lord calls him this awesome title, you are a mighty man of valor. His first question is to have concern for his people. God, you've forsaken us. And then he moves from that to questioning God's wisdom and choosing him as the one to deliver Israel. Look at what it says. It says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. I'm a nobody. I think there's tremendous application to our lives because you and I are much like Gideon often. God, what I know to be true and what I'm experiencing doesn't match up and so I'm left with being discouraged and fearful and full of doubts. And wanting to give up. Like what good is it? What good is it to live my life by this word? What good is it to follow Jesus? My life doesn't seem to be changing. My experiences don't seem to be changing. But here's what I love. Here's what I love that's in this passage of scripture and don't miss it. What I love is that this angel of the Lord, you look, look for yourself in verses 11 through 16. There is no rebuke from the angel of the Lord. Like the angel of the Lord is saying, hey, uh, Gideon, I could have showed up at a lot of other places and said this to a lot of other different people, but I'm saying it to you. You're not gonna believe me? Well, I'm gonna go find somebody else who can do it. Suit yourself. Gideon, or Gideon is not rebuked by the Lord by any of his feelings, by any of his questions about God's character and it not matching up with what he's experiencing in the moment. But rather, here's what the angel of the Lord does. He speaks truth to Gideon's questions. Let me show you. Look at verse 12. What does the angel of the Lord say to Gideon? Gideon, the Lord is with you. Yes, I know you're doubting. Yes, I know you're discouraged. Yes, I know you're fearful. Gideon, let me remind you of something. I'm with you. He says in verse 14, 
Gideon, go in this might of yours. Do not I send you? Yes, I know you're discouraged. Yes, I know that you're doubting. Yes, I know that you're fearful. But Gideon, I'm sending you. Look at what he says in verse 16. But I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Yes, Gideon, I know you're discouraged. I know you're fearful. I know you're doubting. But Gideon, let me remind you of this truth and let it speak to your questions that I will be with you and you're going to accomplish this victory because I am with you. See, here's the first important truth about the Lord's character that he wants to turn from a question into an exclamation point for you, that the Lord sees you as who you will be rather than who you are right now. Can we just let that sink in? Gideon's a fearful man. He's a doubting man. He's a discouraged man. He maybe even be a little resentful. And in spite of all of that, the Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. Gideon wasn't a strong man at this point. But listen to me, we need to be reminded this morning that God doesn't define us in our present reality, but rather he sees us through his completed work in us. That's who God sees you as today. And God is always committed, key word always, God is always committed to make me into what I need to be and will be to accomplish his purposes through me. Ephesians 2.10 says this, that you are God's workmanship, that I am God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's a New Testament truth to back up this narrative in the Old Testament, that you and I are God's workmanship, that if today, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that I believe that he lived a perfect life for me, died on the cross for my sins, rose again three days later, that today the Lord sees me as what I will be, not who I may be right now. Like some of you just need to write that down and sit in that truth. In fact, go in your Bible right now. If you got it on your phone, highlight it. If you got a Bible in your lap, I want you to underline this. You're like, I don't write in my Bible. This is gonna be the first time. I want you to underline, oh mighty man of valor. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write your name above that word man. So that when you turn to your Bible, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, and the Lord brings to your mind what you heard today. When you turn to this again, you will see this. The Lord is with you. This is what I mean. Almighty Johnny of valor. Listen to me, that's not an arrogant statement or a cocky statement. That is a graceful statement. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you 
have said of you by God through Jesus Christ, O man, mighty woman or man of valor. And that's not determined by who you are right now. That's determined by who you will be one day. That's such an amazing truth. Such an amazing truth. That the purposes that the Lord has for me and the purposes that the Lord has for you will not be deterred, will not be thwarted, will not be defeated, but will be accomplished because you are a child of the king. You are a son or daughter of the king. And because Christ has been victorious, you are victorious. And so you may have come in here today defeated, discouraged, doubting, fearful, maybe even resentful because your present circumstances aren't jiving with who God says he is. And God may be calling you to something and saying, no, 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 I'm doing something in you. I want you to continue to follow me, to go after me. This is what, some of you have been faced with something and it's a massive step of faith that the Lord is calling you to accomplish. And you're saying, man, how can that be possible? I'm fearful, I'm doubting, I'm discouraged right now, Lord. You don't seem to be working anything out. This seems like the worst time. Why did you allow me to go through these circumstances? And the Lord is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you, Susie. I'm with you, Matt. I'm with you, Linda. You're a mighty woman or a mighty man of valor. I'm sending you. I'm going to accomplish the victory. And the first truth that we need to get in our heads today about who the Lord is and allow him to move that from a question mark into an exclamation point is the Lord sees us as who we will be rather than who we are right now. But what is Gideon's response to all this amazing truth that the Lord gives him? Look at verse 17. It says, so Gideon said to him, to the angel of the Lord, if now I've found favor in your sight, then perform for me a sign that it is you speaking with me. Please do not depart here until I come back to you and bring out an offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. You know what Gideon needs here? Man, he needs a lot of assurance. He's like, Lord, you said some amazing stuff to me. You even call me by something that I know I don't deserve. But Lord, I need more than that. I need some assurance. I think it's interesting, even in the way this is written, he's like, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. This is Johnny's translation. I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm gonna go get some stuff and I'm gonna make an offering. But I need you to stay. And I just, I don't know, it strikes me as just God's mercy and grace. It says, and he said, Gideon, I'll remain here until you return. I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed to you and what I wanna do in you. I'm not going anywhere. And here's what Gideon does. It's found in verses 19 through 24. We don't have time to read these verses. But Gideon prepares a meal offering of goat's meat and, un- goat's meat and unleavened bread and basically this soup of broth, this pot of broth. And what the angel of the Lord tells Gideon to do with all of these things, because this is not the angel of the Lord that tells him to do this. This is Gideon's idea. He, wants to, he needs a sign. I need a sign, Lord, please. Let me have a sign that what you said, even though it's awesome, I'm still struggling in believing it. And so he takes this, so the angel of the Lord says, okay, take what, 
what you want to do, and, and we'll lay the meat, and we'll lay the unleavened bread, and then I want you to take that pot of broth, and I want you to pour it over the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord takes his staff and touches that rock, and it's consumed with fire. Unnatural. Gideon doesn't light a match, doesn't get any wood. And it's interesting that that sign does something in Gideon's heart. It says actually at the end of verse 24 that Gideon believes he has seen and heard and he calls the place, the Lord is peace. You know what that shows me from just this first sign that peace is always the result of believing in the character of the Lord. That whenever I bring myself that, Lord, this is who you say you are, and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to live it. You know what the result is? All of a sudden, peace comes over me. Now, that was amazing. That sign alone. Like, that doesn't happen every day. You try that at your house, it, I promise you it isn't going to work. Now, you can ask the Lord for a sign, and can he do it? Yes, he will. But chances are you're going to have a big mess on the floor in your kitchen. So that would have been enough, right? But here's what happens is Gideon goes to sleep and in verses 25 through 35, he has a dream. And the Lord speaks to him in this dream saying, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to tear down the altar of Baal and tear down the altar of Ashtaroth, which was the two gods that, that Israel got caught up in serving that were Canaanite gods, the God of Baal, which was a male figure, the God of Ashtaroth, which was a female figure. And Gideon is told to tear those things down because his own father has built these things. So in his house, in the area that he lives, in this tribe of people, there are these idols that they they are worshiping. And so Gideon takes 10 guys and, you know, Gideon's still fearful. He's like, you know, I'm not going to go out during the day. I'm going to go out at night. We're going to have a covert mission. He tears these things down. He actually makes a sacrifice to the Lord using the wood of the Ashtaroth pole. And when he wakes up, in the, when, when everybody wakes up in the morning, they're ticked off because who tore down our idols? And so they're trying to figure out who did it. They find out that Gideon does it. Joash, Gideon's father, stands up for Gideon, even though those are his idols that he built. And basically tells the people who want to kill Gideon, hey, listen, if Baal is who he says he is, then Baal will take care of Gideon. And his name is actually changed to Jerubbabel, which is basically what his name means. So that's what's going on. So he's got a meal offering that's been burned up by fire that's not something that he made. He hears the Lord in a dream. You'd be like, dude, you're set, Gideon. You're set to go. But Gideon's like, no, nah, I need some more signs. So verses 36 through 40, you know what Gideon does? He asks the Lord for two more signs. Feel the tension in that, even though many of you know this story? Like, God, I know. I know that you already did more than you needed to do. God, if I'm honest, I'm still struggling. So can you do this one more thing? So many of us know these signs, right? What does he do? He asks the Lord, hey, I'm gonna lay out a fleece of wool the night before. And when I wake up in the morning, here's what I want to do. I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. Because after in the morning, you have the dew, so the fleece should be wet. But Lord, I want you to do something amazing. I promise you, I promise you that this is the last thing that I will ask. And what does the Lord do? He doesn't rebuke him. He hasn't rebuked him yet. I would rebuke him. I don't like to be asked the same question more than once. 
But God doesn't do that, and he does exactly what Gideon asks. And you know what Gideon does? Some of you don't know this story, so you're with me. As amazing as that is, Gideon's like, Lord, I know. Now we're at three signs. But Lord, I need a fourth sign. And so he asked the Lord to do the reverse. So now I want the, let me make sure. I always get this messed up. He wants the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. And what does the Lord do? He does it. He does it. He allows Gideon to ask him all of these signs and he doesn't rebuke him, which leads me to the second truth that the Lord wants you to learn about his character. It's this, that the Lord is patient and he's gracious to prove his faithfulness to you. I mean, that just drips for me all over this section. And can I just say, this is not a model of how you test the Lord's will. Like, you don't need to be going home today saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a page out of Gideon's playbook. Lord, I know you want me to be obedient in this. Lord, I need a sign. And I would even love for that sign to be when I walk out into the parking lot of Salem Chapel for there to be a $100 bill lying on the ground next to my car that says, thinking of you on it with a sticky note. So I don't have to struggle as do I bring this in the church or do I keep it? That's not what we're going after. That's not what we're talking about is, man, you just need to ask for a sign all the time, ask for a sign, and until God does it, no, 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 that's making us God and God our servant. That's not what I'm saying, but what I want you to see is even though that is not prescriptive in how we respond to what God wants us to do, God in his grace and God in his patience and God in his mercy because he wants Gideon to accomplish this. This is what he's purposed for him, that God does what Gideon needs. He wants to show Gideon I'm faithful. Philippians 1, 6, I love this verse that says we can be sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can be doubting today, you can be fearful today, you can be discouraged today, you can be resentful because your present circumstances don't match up with God's promises. But listen to me, the Lord is committed, he is patient and he is graceful, gracious to show his faithfulness to you. Man, I've asked the Lord for signs. I know the Lord doesn't have to do those things. I know that that's, I just don't wait for them before I obey. But I mean, even remember that last week, just being transparent with you. And I was, I was a little discouraged. I was a little down. I'm no different than you. I'm ready for 2020 to be over. I was driving to work and normally I have the, you know, the, I'm listening to something on my phone or I'm listening to a podcast or an audio book or something and I just had total silence in my car and I was just talking to the Lord out loud and saying, Lord, I know this is true. I know that this is who you are. I know what I believe you have said you're going to do. But Lord, would you give me eyes to see it today? Just pray that. I need to see it today. 
Wasn't a matter of I've seen it in the past. I had, Lord, I need to see it today. And it's interesting, later on in that day, uh, Corey, who's our administrative assistant, sent us, sent, us this, uh, sent us this snapshot of a letter that we received from a lady in Boynton Beach who watches us online. Has been since the beginning of the, pan- of the pandemic, all the way back in March. Sent us this letter, you may be watching right now, I'm not gonna say the name, but sent this letter just talking about all the things that the Lord has done as she's watched online, memorized Psalm 27, just all different things that the Lord has done. Now, I'm someone who's more critical than celebratory. So in the moment, I was like, that's nice. And then all of a sudden, God brought to my mind, wait a minute, you asked that you would have eyes to see what I am doing in this moment. And I was like, man, Lord, thank you for giving me a sign. And I knew what I was speaking on this week. And I just share that with you that sometimes we're afraid to take our questions to the Lord. Sometimes we're ashamed to be honest with the Lord. I was saying this week to someone, you know, for me, I have to literally verbalize my doubts and my fears and my discouragements and my frustrations. And get this, even when I'm angry at God, I have to say it out loud. Because for me, when I say it out loud, for whatever reason, and I'm not saying this is prescriptive for you, but for whatever reason, when I say it out loud, I give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak truth back into my soul. And I say that for you today that the Lord wants you to take your questions to him so that a glorious and beautiful and supernatural exchange can take place. God's saying, I'm gonna take your questions and I'm gonna replace them with assurances, with exclamation points. And so when we look at this familiar story about Gideon asking for all these signs and we almost wanna cringe like, oh my goodness, Gideon, come on. What it says to me is the patience and graciousness of our Lord to prove his faithfulness to us. Here's the last thing. And it's found in chapter seven. Now, we don't have time to read the entire chapter, but I am gonna read verses one through eight quickly. It says, then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. So Gideon at this point has 32,000 troops. That's no number to sneeze at, 32,000. The problem is, is Midian, according to Judges 8, we get a picture of how many soldiers Midian had. Midian has 135,000. So even with those odds, 135,000 to 32,000, you don't have to be a rocket scientist on where you would place your bets, right? But the Lord says, get in there too many. Why? Lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Lest Israel takes the credit. Verse three, now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 people returned and 10,000 remained. And he said to Gideon, 
Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test you there. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. And likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped in verse six, putting their hands to their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. Verse seven, and the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands and let all others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below in the valley. Here's the third truth that the Lord wants to teach you about his character. That the Lord is committed to teach you his definition and method of success. There are quite a few people in this auditorium this morning and many more probably watching online. And chances are many of us have different definitions of success. If we were to define success, we were like, well, relationally, married, kids, Financially, a great job, whatever a salary in your mind is successful. Great job, great paycheck, nice home, a couple cars, some money in the bank for retirement. That's success. Our method would be, well, the more people that you have underneath you, the more successful you are. The more people that you have in your company, the position that you have, whatever it is, that's, that's the method for achieving success. But what I see in chapter seven is this truth about the Lord's character that the Lord is committed to you and to me to teach me, to teach you his definition of success and his method of achieving success. See, the Lord defines success as this. I'm gonna give you two things and then give you two things about his method. The Lord defines success as this, as being self-aware of your weaknesses. I see that in verse two, right? The Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, you got 32,000 men, but here's the problem, Gideon. They are way too many. And the reason why they're way too many is because if I give you the victory with 32,000 men, even though it's against 135,000, the problem with that is, is you have a good chance of taking the credit for it. And I know you're weak in that. And the Lord defines success as me being self-aware of my weaknesses. See, so often we wanna be self-aware of our strengths. What am I good at? What am I strong at? What am I gifted at? And that's great, but if all I'm concentrating on is what I'm strong at and what I'm gifted at, I can have a tendency to be self-sufficient in everything that I do. I can get up today and I can go do what God's called me to do in my own strength because I know I'm gifted in this, whatever that may be. But when the Lord, and I submit myself to his process, and he grows me in understanding more and more where I'm weak, then here's what that does. That brings me to my knees. It causes me to be more dependent. See, listen to me. What the Lord wants to grow in you, what the Lord wants to do in you is spectacular because the Lord desires you to do it, but he doesn't want you to do it believing that you did it. He wants you to do amazing things for him 
and bring you to a place where you understand full and well that I couldn't do that. That only God could do that. Here's the second thing that the Lord defines success as. He defines success as having a heart full of faith rather than a heart full of fear. And here's why I say that in verse three. What happens? I mean, Gideon basically assembles all these dudes and God says, hey, Gideon, I want you to ask them a question and ask them, hey, who was ever afraid? Like, just go on home. No judgment here. Like, we're not gonna think less of you. Just go on home. Now, if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking to myself, man, I got 32,000 dudes that have left everything to come with me. Man, they're all behind me. They're all about this. They love my leadership. I mean, all of these types of things, right? Which is one of the reasons why the Lord did what he did. But nevertheless, I would have to think as Gideon's like you and me that if I've got 32,000 guys behind me, you know what? That's given me some street cred. And, and, and so Gideon probably asked this question, hey, is anybody afraid? And he's thinking, maybe I have a couple hundred leave. At most? So Gideon asked the question, who knows if it was reluctantly or not, hey, anyone afraid, leave. Can you imagine what that scene must have looked like? 22,000 people leave. Gideon's not wake, walking away from that thinking, man, I'm an, am, an amazing leader. But see, the Lord knew, Gideon, you can't lead the way I want you to lead and you can't win the way that I want you to win, knowing what I'm gonna ask those men to do if they have a heart full of fear. And some of us are getting so discouraged because God's doing something in us a different way than we would have wanted. But you know what he's doing? He's defining for you what success is. He's removing fear from your heart and filling it with faith. Some of us right now, we need to hear this from the, we need to hear this principle from the Lord. We have become so fearful. The fear has, fear valve of our life has run on high and hot for 10 months. And I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that or I'm reminded what to be afraid of and being told what to be afraid of and it's run high and hot for so long. I'm afraid of what's gonna happen on Tuesday. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And the reality is, is fear keeps us from pursuing what the Lord wants us to walk into. And I wonder if this time, if the Lord for you is, what he's doing is he's doing a work in you that may seem painful in the moment, but what he's doing is he's defining for you what success is. He wants you to have a heart full of faith. I wrote this down. Fear has a way of spreading. And one timid soldier can do more damage than a whole company of enemy soldiers. Fear and faith can't live together very long in the same heart. Either fear will conquer faith and will quit, or faith will conquer fear and will triumph. John Wesley lived in the 1700s. He led a revival in England during that time, and he said this, give me a 100 men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and I will shake the gates of hell. There's some of us in this room, we got a heart full of fear, and the Lord's doing a work right now, and you may not understand it, but I'm telling you, he's... Wanting your heart to be full of faith. What about his method? Let me give you this. The Lord's method of success 
is teaching you to value quality over quantity. Do you see that in verses four through eight? I mean, if it wasn't already a leadership struggle for Gideon to lose 22,000 men, I mean, he's still like, okay, I got 10,000 with me. That's still not amazing. And what does the Lord do? Sorry, Gideon, that's too many. And he does this little drinking test. And can you imagine? I mean, you got 10,000 people drinking. I doubt they were all drinking at the same time. And Gideon gets the great joy of watching men get picked off by God. And he's left with 300 You know what would be happening right now in modern day? Gideon's like, man, Lord, I thought I was gonna have this amazing platform. I thought that I was really gonna be looked at as someone who just could really inspire people and lead them into a battle, but I got 32,000 down to 300. Nobody's asking me to write a leadership book. Can you imagine the title? How to Shrink Your Followership by 99%. Author, Gideon. The only person that would buy it is his wife who may have sympathy for him. What's the Lord doing? He's teaching Gideon. Gideon, you know what my method for success is? It's to teach you to value quality over quantity. And listen to me, some of us, even in the church, get so sidetracked at defining success by how many people assemble to do something rather than saying, wait a minute, what's the quality? What's the defining of success? Listen to me, if I was talking to pastors this morning, I would say this, and there may be some watching. The church success is not defined by butts in the seat, budgets that you have, and buildings. It's defined by how you are making and mobilizing and equipping the people in your church to walk out of here who know how to read the word of God themselves, know how to pray themselves, know how to hear and obey the word of God, know how to disciple others, know how to share the story of their salvation with others, and they know how to disciple others. You may be working at a job and you're like, man, all of a sudden this pandemic has caused me and now it's just me and my wife in the kitchen of our restaurant and we're like, what in the world, Lord, are you doing? Maybe he's teaching you to value quality over quantity. I don't know, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to you the way you need to hear it this morning. Here's the last thing that I wanna give you about the Lord's method under this idea of teaching us His definition and method of success, the Lord's method of teaching you success is to choose obedience over pragmatism. Because once Gideon has these 300 guys, and what I love is, and in this passage of scripture, is Gideon struggles when God whittles down his soldiers down to 300 guys. And so Gideon In that struggle, God knows that he asked Gideon to go down to the camp of Midian so that he can hear what Midian is saying about him. And he hears that they've had this dream and that this army is coming and it's ruled by this man, Gideon. And God even uses what Gideon hears to to give Gideon what he needs. Why? Because God will always give us what we need. God will always do what it takes. He will always provide what is necessary so that we can be what we need to be and be who we will be. 
And Gideon gets the encouragement that he needs so that he's ready to do what God has called him to do. And God says, here's what I want you to do, Gideon. You're not gonna take a sword. You're not gonna take a shield. You're gonna take a trumpet, a ram's horn. You're gonna take a jar. You're gonna put a torch in it. You're gonna surround the camp with 300 men and you're gonna basically yell, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. And you're gonna break that jar with that fire in it and it's gonna explode and people are gonna be overwhelmed and thinking that everyone, that there's this thousands and thousands of people. And what God does in that moment is he does, he defeats Midian in such a way that there's no way they could take, they didn't even raise their hand. All they did was blow a trumpet, smash a jar that caused us an explosion and yell, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. And the Midianites killed themselves, battling themselves. Because the Lord wanted to teach Gideon, Gideon, my method for success is for you to obey. That's it. Because the reality is, is we can ask for all the signs. We can hear that the Lord sees us as who we will be, not who we are right now. We can understand how the Lord's definition and method of success may be even different than ours, but it still takes faith to respond. Still took faith for Gideon. Faith being to move in what he can't see and to believe in what he can't feel. And 300 men did something in the face of insurmountable odds, and today we're talking about it. But see, Gideon's not the hero of this story. Jesus is, right? Because Jesus came in ways that didn't make sense to save people who didn't make sense so that they can do something that doesn't make sense. So where are your questions this morning? What questions do you need to take to the Lord today? Because you have a gracious God who wants to hear them, who wants to speak to them, and who wants to teach you lessons through them. And we're gonna sing a song to close our service this morning. And if you're watching online, let me encourage you, don't click off of it right now. I want you to think about those questions that you had at the beginning of this passage. And as they sing this song over us, I want you to just take the Lord those questions. Tell him you're frustrated. Tell him you're doubting. Tell him you're fearful. Tell him you're discouraged. Be honest with them. And say, Lord, would you help me to see what I need to see to do what you want me to do? Can I tell you, he will do it. We have a story that tells us. We have a savior who saved us so that we are not judged by who we are right now, but we are accepted because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are here today. God, in this moment, may we press into it. May you allow the words of your truth to sing over our questions. And may, we, may we look forward to the ways that you will turn those questions into exclamations. In Jesus' name, amen.